Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Hello, and welcome to The Schmidt List, the podcast for people dedicated to managing successful projects, developing impactful products, and building engaged teams. And now, here's your host, Kurt Schmidt. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of The Schmidt List. On today's show, I am talking to Heather Kelly, Manager of Employee Experience at Airtay Consulting Group. Heather and I talk about what it takes to be an amazing manager. I hope you enjoy the conversation and stick around after the show for a few notes. Hello, Heather. Hello, Kurt. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Your background is uh, we worked together uh, as a, you were a manager of uh, many people. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the role of managing folks. <laughs> well, uh, I originally started as a manager um, of just a very small HR team. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a weird mix of of roles and uh through my involvement with working with the other managers in the company I was uh promoted into a development manager role mm-hmm. for the project management and so when you first got in that role of being a manager what were some of the things that you did to kind of help get you up to speed about how to be a good manager and what the appropriate way of managing was because I myself have managed people in the past I never went to management school or I think there is a kind of a a natural yearning to want to be really good at it right mm-hmm. because it's people that you're 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 kind of in control of so what were some of the things early on that you felt were really helpful for you when you first started in managing folks yeah I, uh, I spent a lot of time um, before I before I started that position figuring out what my stance was. What is my role as their manager? What is my take on things? What do I know about what they do? Um, how do I appreciate the work that there that is being done by that team? Mm-hmm. And really reflected on, okay, well, how can I affect them? How can I influence them? How can I motivate them? So it was a matter of what do I know? What don't I know? How can I be vulnerable and also bring all of my strengths? Um, so figuring out what those are first. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's what, I, that's what I did when I first took the position. So early on, as you were saying, um, what you don't know, what were some of the things that surprised you the most when you first started uh, managing people? The, I, I knew from having my own managers that it was very important to manage to an individual. Mm. Um, you really have to know each individual person. Everybody's motivated differently. Everybody's skill sets are differently or different. 
Um, but making sure that you are paying attention individually is a lot of work, <laughs> way more work <laughs> than I would have ever guessed. Mm -hmm. And it's worth the investment. So making time for being um, individually focused, although so much work, um, a lot of work, worth it in the long run. Yeah. Well, That's how you connect with people. Let's talk tactically just for a second. If I'm a new manager and I'm listening to Heather and she's saying, you know, get to know each person individually, like what are some ways that you do that? What, you know, is it just, I have a one-on-one -on -one or I do an annual review. Like how do you get to know that person in a way that's beneficial to them and to you? Yeah. So my tactic with the with my first large team that I managed, it was a position that I, I had never done myself. So I approached those first one-on-ones by really just letting them tell me their history. Mm. What have you done? Um, what are you good at? What do you want to do next? And then offering up, well, here are the things I've done. Here are the things that I'm good at. And here's how I want to help you with that. Mm. Um, so it's a matter of giving them a platform, a safe environment for sharing. And then also, aside from just one-on-ones, it's paying attention to what their interests are. Mm -hmm. How do they decorate their desk? What kind of pictures do they have up? Mm. What do they contribute on social media? That mm. kind of thing. So what you're suggesting is treating them like a person. Yes, like mm. a whole person. Mm. Interesting yes, approach. not just an employee. Interesting approach, Heather. <laughs> um, so, so with that, let's talk about different personalities, though. You know, you've uh, obviously managed a large team in the past. I think you had, um, what, up to 25 people you were managing at any given time, right, or more? Uh, there was one time that I was managing almost 50 people. Uh, there you go, yes. But so, uh, on average, yes, 25. Yeah, <laughs> and so upwards of 50 people, having that individual contact is difficult, um, let alone the different personalities and the s tactics. I would imagine you'd have to switch tactics in your approaches on a daily basis, right? Because you might have a more extroverted person or a more introverted person, mm -hmm. right? Talk to me about, I think the extroverted person is probably a little easier to get to know because they're going to be more of an open book. But what are some things that have worked for you in the past if you've had an introverted person to actually get to know them when they might be kind of shy and don't want to really talk about themselves very much? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with making them feel safe. Hmm. So um, it, it's a long it's a long game. <laughs> it doesn't happen automatically. Right. But asking the right kind of questions, making sure that expectations are very clear, that's a given for any personality type. Start mm -hmm. with clear expectations. I found that in some of those conversations with a more introverted or reserved or maybe management averse mm -hmm. <laughs> employees, meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. You got to match what they're what they're putting down. Right. <laughs> if they're if they're uh, reticent to share, bring an agenda. Make sure that you're. They know that you're there for a purpose. They know what your intentions are, and then be very clear about what you need from them. Eventually, if they understand where you're coming from, it's much easier for them to kind of share back. Early on in my career as a manager, um, there was many times where I'd walk in with no agenda and just sit there and stare at each other. And <laughs> I think to your point, being that manager is kind of being that guiding light, if you will, like I'm going to help steer the conversation. Not that you're putting limits on it, but you're at least kind of setting it in motion. Exactly. No, no, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. If I'm listening to this podcast, I'm a new manager and I think there is a chance that maybe I'm a bad manager. Um, what are some of the warning signs I should be looking for if I'm not 
if I'm not really knocking it out of the park, maybe maybe I'm doing okay, maybe I'm just insecure, which is okay. I think it's good to make sure that you're checking yourself every once in a while yes. that you are doing the right thing. But what are some things that you can you can do to to recognize that maybe maybe I maybe I could be doing a better job? What are some of the warning signs? I think um, a pretty clear one is how much does your team want to share with you? Mm. How hard is it for you to get information that you need to do your job out of your team members? Mm. If they are reluctant to share or if they're reluctant to seek you out and proactively share, um, that might be an indicator that you've got some growth to do. (laughs) Sure. There's also the very obvious, um, more vulnerable approach about just asking for feedback, Mm -hmm. Um, making your management style and open book. I'll give you feedback. You give me fa- feedback. We're both growing together. That can be a good way to to get what you need out of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if your team members aren't sharing, they don't want to come to you, they're not seeking your advice or your help, um, those are all pretty clear indicators that you're probably not connecting. Sure. And that could be anything from just a simple trust thing to Maybe they're scared. Maybe they are worried that if they share too much, they'll get fired or something, right? Or maybe they find your advice irrelevant. Mm. <laughs> maybe they don't think you know what you're talking about. Aww. <laughs> that can happen too. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> well, those are, di- I mean, those are difficult situations to dig yourself out of once you're in that spot, right? Absolutely. So with that, I mean, what are some things that you would suggest, again, going back to more tactical sort of approaches? Maybe I'm listening to Heather telling me this right now. And uh, I feel like I'm kind of in that situation. What are some of the first steps I should I should do to start addressing that? My first move would be to try and have some one-on-one connections, mm-hmm. have some one-on-one conversations, make it about their performance first, make it about the productivity of the work itself, mm-hmm. keep it nice and neutral, and then maybe get a little bit more personal from there, you know? Sure. What will they share? What will they open up to? Mm-hmm. And then eventually, hopefully, they'll either find you more relevant, appreciate your feedback, um, appreciate that you are asking questions in the first place. Um, showing interest in their work will often make people want to share back. Let's flip that question a bit and let's talk about if I feel like I'm, I'm not connecting with my manager. I've talked with the other people on the team, but maybe some agree with me, maybe nobody agrees with me, and I, I feel like I've got a bad manager for lack of a better word. What are some things I should be doing to rectify that situation? Obviously, I could quit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty last resort, but it should be, right? Should be. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's say you know, no, I am getting value out of this job, but I'm just not connecting with my manager. What are some things I should be doing in order to build that relationship? If this person, they might be a bad manager, right? I mean, right. I'm not saying it's that you're the you're suffering from the bad roommate syndrome, right? right. Like, um, but what what are some things they, they should do if, if they want to get more in touch with their manager to feel like they're being managed appropriately? Yeah, I think if you're, uh, if you're the employee in that situation, I think the first thing to do is make sure that you understand your manager's expectations. Maybe you're not connecting because you're, you're off base on what they're looking for. Hmm. Maybe those other team members that you've, you know, just checked in with and say that, no, there's no problem with the manager. Maybe they all understand it a little bit better. Mm. So that would be my first step. Um, from there, I think uh, maybe getting advice from another department lead, mm. um, maybe an HR representative. Mm-hmm. Um, just get some feedback on you know your interactions and your involvement. 
any sort of introspection you can do, I think, can go a long way. Right. <laughs> One of the more difficult things that I've personally had to manage in the past is people who work remotely. And that happens more and more these days. It's, you know, a lot of people work from home. Um, a lot of people have teams in other countries, all of these different things. If I'm a manager and I'm working with remote staff, what are some ways that you found work really well? What are some things that don't work really well? One thing that has to be put in place right away is just those clear expectations mm -hmm. around the job, around communication. What is the frequency? Um, when you do have one-on-one -on -one meetings, try to make them you know, Skype or video calls. Mm -hmm. It's good to just see somebody's face uh, with technology these days. That's pretty easy to do. Yeah. Also, there's tons and tons of chat tools that companies mm -hmm. use now. Being available or at least setting your status so people know when to find you or where to find you. Mm -hmm. Being as proactive and upfront as possible is helpful. I think for my remote staff, it was the most important to have regular set one-on-ones mm. with agendas. Right. Um, both, Very important. Both agenda items that I would bring, and then I would ask them to bring agenda items as well. Mm. So it was a very guided conversation. We made sure that we were touching on all the things that you might be able to just, you know, walk by somebody's desk if you're in the same office. Kind of keep a running list that you can talk to that person about. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot more attention, proactive uh, constant communication is is always key. Something you said in there when you talked about asking them to bring an agenda. I think one of the most difficult times I've had as a manager is when I'm trying to engage with somebody and I'm letting them know how they can engage with me, but they're just not doing it. They still might be very vocal people about what their opinions are, about how things should change or what should stay the same and all these things. And then you're asking them, like, here are some things you can do to help make that a thing, but they're not doing it. How do you get around that? I mean, how have you found in the past that that's worked for you to say, you know, like for lack of a better thing, help me help you? Yeah. Right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh... <laughs> it seems uh, silly, but it, it, it really happens. I mean, I've, I've run into people before that are like, I want, I want things to be like this. And I'd be like, cool, well, let's get together and let's talk about it and you get together. And uh, it's just, there's yeah. no substance, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> that happened uh, quite a bit, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I, I started asking, just point blank asking the question, do you need to vent or do you want to do something about it? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you have the freedom to do something about it? With my support, with the support of these people around you, I, th I think we can probably get something done. <laughs> but do you want to? Mm -hmm. So we can create an action plan. We can create some sort of initiative. We can we can actually solve some problems here. Yeah. Or do you just want to vent to me? That's yep. fine. You can have this space. But we're not going to do this more than once. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yep. You know, and, and again, like I've said it, I've said it before in this podcast, it's you're having those meetings. You're like, um, is there something is there something actionable from this conversation or mm -hmm. should I should I leave here with an action item from you or is this just we just you need somebody to talk to? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And asking point blank, like, what do you expect me to do about it? And what what can I expect you to do about it? Mm -hmm. um, kind of giving them the power to take things into their own hands. Yep. Now, if they do that or not is up to them. Um, it can be very frustrating if you've given them the opportunities over and over again and they still don't react right. or don't act. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that... 
that can be a new conversation. Though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, in, in a deliberate one, which I think is something that I've found managers struggling with in the past is where, just like you said, maybe that whole scenario happens where you're giving opportunity after opportunity and you're still kind of hitting up against a wall when you're going to try and manage this person and, and manage them to the next level that they're saying they want to be at, but they're not stepping up to the plate. You know, you have to have a very deliberate conversation about these are all the opportunities that I've been providing. And here are you summarily ignoring all of those opportunities. <laughs> and here's why. And here's, you know, maybe you don't think you are, but here's my perspective. Mm. And I think that having that deliberate conversation is difficult for some newer managers, mm -hmm. right? Because you want people to like you. Yes, absolutely. Everybody does. <laughs> but how do you get around that as a, as a new manager? Because I've seen a lot of new managers assume that if everybody's my friend, I'm going to manage them correctly. Mm -hmm. How do you coach somebody who's a new manager away from that sort of, I don't know, it seems like a like a cheat code yeah. in a way, you know? <laughs> but after you enter the cheat code, there's really no satisfaction because you just cheated. Yep. Um, I found that managing with candor is definitely the way to go. Hmm. You have to be able to, well, first you have to know your own rules. You have to know your own expectations and be very clear about them with your team. Mm. If you if you don't have that, then you've got nothing to stand on. Right. So start start with expectations. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody's not meeting them, you have to be very clear. You have to be very vulnerable about it. Explain to them, you know, what what is missing, what they're what they're not performing. Yeah. And then give them guidance on how to perform. To your expectations. No, I like what you said there because um, you have to manage your own expectations first, right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't have a line already drawn or lines drawn where it's kind of you can't cross these lines, you can't hold anybody to those things because you you don't even know that they're there or yeah. that they're a thing. So you have to be. I like I like that you're saying you have to have a very clear agenda exactly. on this is what's this is what good looks like and this is what not good looks like mm -hmm. first. Be comfortable with that and then present it to your team. Yep. If I'm new to management, I'm probably going to be hungry for knowledge on how to be a good manager. And one of the ways that I found in the past that has been a great approach is to look at some of the frameworks around how to manage people, how to get in their heads and understand what's going on in there, right? So um, I know you have a lot of experience exploring tons of different frameworks. Mm -hmm. In your experience, what has been the ones that you've gotten the most value out of? Well, at my current company, Arate Consulting, we are a strengths-based organization. So every single employee at Arate speaks the same strengths language. We all do the strengths finder assessment. We all speak in our top five strengths to each other. Um, it's part of conversations with peers and managers, part of project team conversations. Mm. It is something we're really proud of. It's made our culture what it is. It gives us a shared language to really connect about. And it makes us all individuals. Mm. It makes it okay to be exactly who you are and bring what you're good at to the table. Sure. Every single employee goes through strengths finder, um, kind of a, a, not only the assessment, but um, group activities that really help you explore how does how do your strengths interact with other people's strengths? Sure. And then getting a good understanding of what your strengths mean. I found uh, a lot of value in StrengthsFinder in, in the past. And so Erte does a lot of consulting around StrengthsFinder, I guess? Yeah, we partner with Leadership Vision Consulting. Okay. 
they kind of are the experts in the strengths world. But together, we we do bring strengths to a lot of our clients. Mm. Um, it's a part of our kind of normal conversation with clients. Um, any client teams working with our teams are kind of intrigued by our culture and how our teams work together. Sure. Um, we accredit it all to being a strengths-based organization. Um, so are there any other frameworks or, or things that you might suggest? As, uh, so StrengthsFinder, obviously, is a very popular one. But is there any other ones that you would tell people maybe explore this too? Um, or do you, have you just found StrengthsFinder just to be the easiest to, to, to work with? Not easiest, but more effective. Yeah, I found that that one um, is the best for any sort of teamwork that mm-hmm. happens. Um, so that can be a project team. It can be a cross-functional team. Um, it can be teams of departments, leadership teams. It's it's ways that individuals connect to not only themselves, but how their strengths interact with each other. I think that that one just speaks to people working together better than most of the other ones. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other ones can tell you who you are as an indiv- individual, what your own traits are. StrengthsFinder also adds the fact of um, or adds the factor of working with other people. Mm which I think in, especially in the software development world, for instance, it's a pretty important it factor of, of that world. Yeah, you have a lot of different personalities involved. Yes, <laughs> a lot of different roles, a lot of different responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah and can be stressful work, right? Absolutely. <laughs> As a manager, you, you, you know, I hear people like, don't be a micromanager, or I don't want to be micromanaged, and you're micromanaging me, or things like that. And obviously, that's probably one of the worst fears a, a manager might fear is hearing that, right, mm-hmm. that they're a micromanager. But at the same time, you need to have an understanding of where people are at, what they're working on. Are they being successful? Are they not being successful? And then where are those areas of opportunities? How do you balance being that micromanager that understands what they're doing on a day-to-day basis to impact not only the business but their career versus you know giving them the freedom to make mistakes and to do things how do you find that balance it takes a lot of trust <laughs> it's a lot of trust and it's a lot of that it goes back to the expectation setting mm-hmm. setting your own expectations and setting very clear expectations for your team members so in order to give your team enough enough room to feel that they actually have, are empowered and can make their own decisions, can, can choose their priorities of work, which always motivates people more than you telling them what their priorities are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't see why. <laughs> you have to trust them first. You have to trust that they, they know what you are expected, you're expecting them to do mm-hmm. and that you trust their skill set can do it. If you don't trust that their skill set can do it, then you should be having some sort of performance-related conversation before giving them that responsibility. If I'm working with somebody who I believe is a micromanager and I'm I'm not working well with them, uh, there's a phrase that people say all the time, which is people don't quit jobs, they quit bad managers. When I say that phrase, what does that make you, what comes to mind when you hear that? Is that accurate? Yeah. Yep. I've seen that happen before. <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably has happened to me before. Hmm especially in the early days. But I do think that if you're not connecting with your manager or another leader that's influential over your career, I think it's a make or break situation. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like you're understood or valued, and that usually starts with your manager, that's a clear indicator for... Um, maybe moving on. Sure. But let me let me throw out the argument, you know, but they're my manager. They should be coming to me. I mean, why should I have to be going and trying to engage them? They should be trying to 
understand me and put the effort in. They're the manager. Yeah, I agree with that. But also, <laughs> it's it. They don't have a red carpet for you. They can't read your mind. Right. You got to meet them in the middle. Yep. Um, what are your expectations, employee? What mm-hmm. aren't you What aren't you getting right. from them? If you know that you're missing something, that you're you, they're not providing you something, and you can articulate that. You should take your own career in your own hands and uh, probably talk about that. I like that advice. In order to not be a micromanager, uh, I think one of the things that I've seen people struggle with is delegating. Even if you're not a micromanager, you're still the boss. You're still in charge, um, but you you can't do everything, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're in that position where you feel like you're struggling delegating, I can imagine some of the warning signs are is that you've got you you know, you're working extra hours, right? You're working a lot of extra yeah. hours because you're putting a lot on your plate. And one of the things that you should be aware of is that you're probably not trusting your team as much. If you were coaching a leader that's that's that you're seeing is working 60, 80 hours a week, and they've got a team underneath them that could obviously be helping with that load. What are some of the things that you you would coach them on on how to delegate work and, and, and feel like they can actually do that? Yeah, I would ask them, um, why do they feel they need to do everything themselves? <laughs> Let's start with why. Simon Sinek, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> love the guy. Smart man. He is. Why are you feeling the need to take everything on your own shoulders? Is it because you don't have the right skill sets on your team? Is it because you haven't been very clear about the vision of what you're trying to get done? Mm-hmm. Is it because you don't have enough time to, to delegate? Uh, That's a good point. All of those things should be uh, reflected on. It takes a little bit of introspection again. Mm-hmm. And then I would uh, I would encourage them to find at least a couple of people they trust and uh, confide in them first. When I say the phrase employee engagement, what does that phrase mean to you? I think that uh, although it is um, turned into quite a buzzword lately, mm-hmm. um, I think that is one of the most vital things for especially a manager to care about. Mm-hmm. If you are well connected to your employees, if you if they trust you, if they are motivated by the advice and the, the wisdom you're giving them, participation goes up, communication goes up, productivity goes up. Yep, you can measure that in a survey or you can look at a company event and see how many people actually care to show up. There you go. So it's measurable. (laughs) um, But I think that employee engagement is, it should be the driver for everything else. If it is important, it's worth measuring, right? So if I'm a small company and I want to start measuring engagement, like you said, if I am... Uh, having a holiday party and I'm 20 person company and four people don't show up, that's pretty obvious, right? But if I'm 500 people, a thousand people, it's going to be easy for people to slip under the radar. Starting with that small company, what are some suggestions that you might have to start measuring some employee engagement? I think it's really hard to be objective about measuring employee engagement. Mm -hmm. So are you saying you should agree to be subjective? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think subjectivity is, uh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. As long as you do care about it. (laughs) If you care to pay attention, um, the 20-person holiday party, four people don't show up, there's probably, you know, you can, there's probably lots of reasons that people can't come to a holiday party. So that's not your, you know, number one indicator. But, (laughs) um, you know, how is, how is that employee's performance? Um, How often do they engage in, you know, company communication or um, any sort of social network channels that Mm. companies like Slack 
are people engaging with uh, the new company announcements that roll out? Mm. Do you have buy-in and and kind of a a shared understanding about new policies or new procedures or new mm. processes that happen? Are your employees paying attention to the changes that are going on with the company? Do mm-hmm. they, how much do they care? Um, do they want to have a say in what's going on? I think all of those are indicators of mm. employee engagement. And that obviously scales, right? I mean, because if you are a 20-person company and you're the CEO of that company, you should be able to pay attention to all those things, right? But if you're a 1,000-person company and you've got a number of managers um, and you're the CEO of that company, you should be talking to the managers about these are the things I should be paying attention, you should be paying attention to mm-hmm. and reporting on and finding ways to um, keep people more engaged and get them more engaged, right? Yep. If I'm a small company or a large company, as a manager, there's going to be policy changes or you know, policy introductions that happen throughout. And uh, both, I'm guessing both you and I have seen good examples of that rollout and bad examples of that rollout. But things that are really beneficial to employees, things that people really care about, like paid time off and health insurance and all those sorts of things are important to communicate those things very clearly and, and make sure it's understood and questions get answered. If you were to coach somebody that's new to management, on how to roll out a new policy. What would be some of the suggestions you would have on things to pay attention to? I think the first thing that a new manager should do is understand what the current feelings are on that that uh, topic. Mm-hmm. So if it's paid time off, for instance, what are your what are your staff members already thinking about paid time off? Mm. What's no, the mood around it? Yeah, kind of predict what some of their questions might be. Mm-hmm. If a manager can get ahead of some of those frequently asked questions, make sure that if they can show that they understand them and care about their opinions right from the initial rollout, people will be a little bit more engaged and um, pay more attention. Yeah. If there's an action that needs to happen, if there's a kind of behavior change that you're trying to drive, mm-hmm. uh, repeating that policy change in a thousand different ways. <laughs> there's the in-person announcement. There's the email announcement rollout. There's keeping documents posted. Um Mm-hmm. in a shared repository like a wiki or yep. different things yeah. whatever your company does mm-hmm. making sure that that information is clear concise easy to understand and addresses their concerns um, mm. especially if you're the manager of you know a specific team this is a company rollout you understand your team members better than anybody make sure that you're taking the extra initiative to answer their questions Specifically, mm-hmm. so as a manager, there's lots of tools, right? You, you mean spreadsheets and like ERP systems and all these different things that you're using to manage people, right? But what have you found particularly helpful in as, as a tool or a product that you've used um, that helps you in the work that you're doing? For me, it's making sure that I'm keeping all the details about the people I'm talking to and what they're working on and what, mm-hmm. what they're needing from me. Keeping all that organized is uh, a big feat. Yeah. Um, I find that I use Trello a lot mm. um, for organizing not only my team members' needs, but um, the things that I owe them or the things that I'm working on um, as initiatives, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also use Google Keep a lot. Mm-hmm. It's pretty basic, but yep. um, <laughs> basic checklists and to-do lists. 
in a nice digital format, <laughs> easily accessible. I find anything that color codes for me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, anything I can jot down notes. I, I also am very analog and like my my cute notebook and yeah. my nice pen. <laughs> yep. I like notebooks too. Yep. So you, you've given a lot of advice here today on the show. Um, but what is some of the best career advice or professional advice you can remember receiving? It doesn't necessarily only relate to, you know, career or professional, but um, uh, one of the best pieces of advice that I received was from my dad. Mm. Uh, he told me during a very kind of tough time in my life that um, basically if it doesn't feel right, then you're doing something wrong. Mm. So it forces you to um, trust your gut and make some tough decisions and, it forces you to really think about what what would feel right. What what do I need to do to what am I going to do about it? That's great. <laughs> what have you found has been the best characteristic of a leader or a manager in your experience? Somebody who is authentic, hmm. who represents themselves well. Um, somebody who actually takes an interest and a care in like we've been talking about a whole person, not just the work productivity, but mm. you know what what does that person really bring? Let me just unpack that just for a second. So, you said authentic. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? What I mean, how would you how would you describe authentic? I think to be authentic, it means knowing really what you're about. Um, so, being okay with being a little bit vulnerable, mm. admitting when you're wrong, standing up for what you believe in. Being a fierceful advocate, fearless, fearless advocate. Hmm. Maybe that's better. Yeah, being a good representative. Find out what's important first, mm-hmm. and then find a way to apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think instead of just, you know, picking up a book and, you know, adjusting your entire work style to that. Um, right. Figure out what's important about what your beliefs are first. Right. And go from there. That's good advice. And that's the end of the show. I want to give a big thanks to Heather for joining me. If you want to learn more about Airte and the work that they do, you can find them at Airte.com, which is A-E-R-I-T-A-E, Airte.com. And in other news, I'm excited to share with you that I have accepted the role of president at my company, Foundry. At Foundry, we design and build beautiful digital products that help businesses grow. Now more than ever, the accessible, user-friendly, and secure delivery of apps and data is a strategic imperative for organizations of all sizes. And every day, the amazing team at Foundry helps businesses of all sizes achieve their goals. I am extremely honored to be a part of such a passionate and innovative team at Foundry. I hope you check us out at foundrymakes.com. That's foundrymakes.com. And one last thing, the Schmidt list, schmidt-list.com is live. That's where you can go and check out the show notes for each and every single episode. I'm going to be keeping it up to date as possible. So take time to check it out. Thanks again for listening. And I hope you have a fantastic week.